joining us today, uh, where we're discussing uh, a number of different issues uh, regarding expats and living and working abroad. If you want more information and guidance about living and working abroad, you can contact us at, at projectpartnership.com. Um, so we've got a number of interesting things which are based around the, the, what's in the news uh, at the moment. We're going to try and cover those for you right now. Um, we're going to look at uh, the changing world, uh, the changing empires and, and the impact and what that's going to mean when you're trying to live and work abroad. So it can make a big difference in the way that you um, uh, plan and the way that you live and, and the countries that you choose uh, in, in these funny times. Is it uh, an issue with the UK? Is it an issue with Europe, America? Um, or, or is it around the world? Or is it just a, a reaction to post-COVID? So let's have a look at some of the things that have been going on and, and try to identify uh, what is going on. The first thing I want to look at today is, is relocation. Um, relocation in the terms of Armenia and Azerbaijan. Uh, if you don't know where Armenia and Azerbaijan are, uh, they are in the middle. So any, any country with a Stan is, is effectively part of the old Mongol Genghis Khan empire from uh, the 12th century onwards. Uh, but these countries were largely mopped up by uh, the Soviet Union or the, the British Empire in the recent past. Uh, but in, in times past, uh, Muhammad's uh, um, uh, adventure from Saudi Arabia across to India um, uh, with his uh, religious crusade, and before that, Alexander the Great's, uh, the, the Macedonian uh, Greek uh, uh, um, uh, wars, extended that empire into countries like Georgia, Azerbaijan, and before that was the Persian Empire. So Azerbaijan and Armenia are two remnants of the Soviet Union, uh, that border effectively Turkey and the Caspian Sea. Uh, so they've got a proximity to somewhere like Syria, Turkey, uh, and the border with Russia. Um, Azerbaijan have got a border with Russia. Um, Armenia don't they have a border with Turkey. And uh, that, that puts them in a, 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 a difficult position. The other border for Armenia is with Georgia. Um, and, and Georgia has a border with Russia. Uh, so what's the common theme here? The common theme is, is Russian influence. So we've seen in the last 10 years that uh, Russia has, um, post-Soviet Union, has made interventions, um, military interventions in the Ukraine, in Georgia, uh, where the ex-president is in, in custody, uh, and you have a, a, a Russian-favoured um, a, 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 uh, government uh, and they've also intervened in Kazakhstan uh, to stop an uprising there and retain the uh, government and the president who uh, again Russia Soviet looking um, and if you look at Azerbaijan and Kazakhstan and Georgia now that that as well as Ukraine that's four interventions by Russia to give them um, a barrier to to protect Russian people in those countries uh, and protect the borders of, of the Russian state. Um, 
all very reminiscent of the 1930s and, and, and you know, a, a bit another example of, of what's happening. So what's happened in Azerbaijan is that if effectively the protectors of the peace over the last 30 years have been the Russian government. Um, the difference between Armenia and Azerbaijan is Armenian is an Orthodox Christian country uh, predominantly, that is the, the, the religion of the people. Azerbaijan is a Shia Muslim-based uh, country, which is the same as Iran. Uh, so Iran have got borders with, with Russia as well. So uh, you've got religious and cultural similarities uh, between those different countries. And, and effectively, Azerbaijan have been, been allowed by the guarantors, Russia, to go in and take over this uh, pocket of land, this isolated uh, um, area where 100,000 people live, um, which Azerbaijan claimed this area, this Nagorno-Karabakh area, uh, but Armenia uh, claimed it as well because the people in there, 90% were, were Armenian Orthodox Christians and, and not the Muslims. And Azerbaijan is effectively allowed to be militarily taken that over um, it, to, to break with the initial international conventions in place. And what that's created is 100,000 uh, migrants who've had to flee over the weekend into another country uh, to live out of tents, abandoning their homes uh, where they've lived, where their families lived before them. And... Um, and, and all the, the business and their wealth and the property and, and start again. They're what we call asylum seekers. They're fleeing uh, an armed conflict uh, with a, an army coming in and saying, yeah, you can stay if you want, uh, but by the way, we've got a gun pointed at you and we're blowing, blowing you up. So uh, in the 70% of the population of the corner Karabakh that are uh, Orthodox Christians have fled into Armenia um, with the casualties. So that that is that is asylum seeking. That is migration, and that is what the international conventions are for to protect those people whose personal rights to live, to family, to have a home uh, have been invaded by political influences. Uh, the benefit is is that uh, the Shias in Azerbaijan. Um, uh, there's no indication of this, this is just my view, but that fits well with uh, Iran, an ally of Russia, and Russia's borders are now protected a bit more with their influence in uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Azerbaijan, Georgia, and, and Belarusia, uh, <clears throat> uh, while the ongoing conflict carries on in, in, uh, in Ukraine. True refugees migrating overseas now having to seek asylum, and and the you know the world should come together to support those people and and you know pray for their their good health and and uh, well-being in the dramatic trauma of, of their lives. The next topic we want to discuss today is, is fallen empires uh, um, in terms of cracked China. The um, Chinese company Evergrande uh, has been struggling now for a few years and it's led to this major crisis and, and there's a lot of 
noise coming out of 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 uh, China. Um, but what is actually the real situation? In 2017, uh, the owner of of Evergrande, the founder and owner, um, Hu Kai Yan, was worth a reported 42 billion dollars, and that's now down to only three billion dollars. Um, with a company debt of over $3 billion. Uh, and again, this last week, that company's missed a major uh, repayment uh, uh, of, it, of its $4 billion debt in China. So there's uh, real issues. And the, and the owner of that company, not necessarily done anything wrong, but it's been put under, in effect, surveillance or house arrest or, or, or management by the Chinese government. We said last week, a couple of weeks ago, that the, a, a, a section of the company that, that, that manages the, the the affairs of that business uh, were, were you know, initialized by the, by the um, Chinese state. Um, it's a long-standing problem. In China, um, you've got this situation where you, you, you've got um, a slowing economy um, but it all started in 2020 when there were rule changes by, by the government, uh, which forced Evergrande, or they took this um, decision to start paying down the debt. They had too much debt, they wanted to start paying it down. And that forced them to sell properties at a discount. So they're selling properties for less than they bought them for, which put them in the situation that they couldn't keep up with their payments, uh, which is why now they're. American branches filed for bankruptcy and the whole thing has is, is collapsed. The shares are down 99% and they were suspended in the last week. Uh, who's, who's that going to impact? Any, uh, anybody who bought an off-plan property. When you go abroad, you buy property. The developer can offer you the opportunity to buy a property off-plan. You might think you're getting in early and you're getting in the opportunity to buy that property, but it can go wrong. If that developer doesn't deliver, um, then your payment to them could become part of the, the bankruptcy or the failed company. So buying off plan, you need to be careful when you're buying abroad. And if you're looking to buy property abroad, you want advice on that, contact us at appropartnership.com. Evergrande collapse will also impact the, the company's trading and doing services with that company. So a big turnover company that disappears, that's a lot of jobs, a lot of contracts that, that, that will go astray. And of course, the big one is, is the banks that have lent the, the $300 billion. Uh, that will lead to another credit crunch. Not unlike the, the 70s when we had a credit crunch and, and the 2008 when we had a credit crunch and the, and the ramifications for not just the Chinese economy, but the global economy. So we're continuing to watch China. Uh, the founder and, and parts of the company are under severe distress. Um, it, it's a Chinese economy is being impacted by that, and the government needs to make decisions on how they're going to deal with that and, and deliver uh, a way forward uh, for the fallen empires of, of, of Evergrande and the other property companies owning the ghost towns in, um, of a newly developed property in China. Let's look to building the future. For the last 20, 30 years, we've seen that China has been a, a, an emerging economy 
um, where it, it, it's created lots of uh, work um, with output in houses that nobody's bought, but there's lots of development gone on in China uh, of manufacturing capability and, and global trading, which have been strained over the last few years. Uh, and the future empires we will see uh, as, as, as the balance sways. So we see that with the China crisis uh, post-COVID, uh, they delayed the, the lifting of lockdown in, Ch in China for a few years. And so po post-COVID, they are behind the West, they're behind the UK, Europe and, and America. So post-COVID, um, they've got slow growth, they've got high unemployment, and then they have the property crisis uh, as well. And, and that slowing economy has a knock-on effect uh, around the world um, uh, for other people. But the, the other big emerging economy at the moment is the Saudi Arabia, where they have taken a view under a new monarch, a new uh, king that's going to crown prince, who's going to be ruling the kingdom maybe for the next 50 years, is investing, forward-looking and investing the uh, petrol wealth that they've got into uh, a, a, an infrastructure. So when we look in the Middle East at Dubai, UAE, Qatar, you see that the oil revenue has been built into um, uh, overseas property, uh, expats coming in, uh, new businesses being based in those locations. And Saudi is beginning to open up from its more closed economy and build uh, those type of entrepreneurial type of locations. So the, the, there's a, a new uh, a, a, business center international business center being built uh, city being built on the red red sea coast on the other on the other side of saudi arabia uh, from the uae that, that will provide major jobs for expats major opportunities for businesses going forwards and maybe for property investors as well we've seen the, the them investing in sport uh, and in events including football, but other other sports and venues as well. And we'll continue to see that external investment as well as them developing. And what we saw this week is Saudi Arabia announcing with Russia um, a cut in production of oil. Um, and, and why is that? Well, it gives a, a price rise and it's back to OPEC, um, creating economic crisis around the world. Back in the 70s, the economic crisis of the 70s was generated in part, I believe, by OPEC uh, utilising their economic ability to control the price of oil, raise it from very, very low levels to expensive levels, say from $2 a barrel to $100 a barrel, which gave them the revenue and the wealth that they've got today um, but, but put a big impact on the cost of energy and fuel around the world. Um, Russia, as uh, a major oil producer still, uh, despite it, its strange relationship with the world, will get a benefit from that increase in oil prices as well. Um, and therefore, uh, uh, Saudi announcing another increase in, in oil prices potentially exacerbating the situation of the demand, generates them the revenue 
for the investments they want to make for their post-oil uh, future um, and, and post-carbon future. Uh, but and meanwhile, we'll put stresses on uh, the West and the economies that rely upon buying oil and fuel for the future. So um, have that in mind when you're thinking about where the future of the world is and where the jobs are when you're living and working abroad. And for help and guidance when relocating overseas uh, or working remotely, contact us at, at productpartnership.com. Nomad working is a weird and wonderful thing. And, and, and what everybody learned during the COVID period was that we could work remotely. Uh, we didn't have to necessarily work from an office because we've got a computer and, and that links to the interweb and, and that gives us access to everything. If only it was that simple. Uh, we see in ProAct where we, we got most of our people are working remotely, um, but we can get things done in a minute in the, in the office that can take a, a week uh, when you're communicating between different people and different resources, whether those clients, suppliers, or, or team members. Um, <clears throat> but working remotely it is something that everybody can do now. Uh, if you are in any type of job where you don't need to be in that office environment or that on that production line, working remotely is an option. So how can we think about that differently and how can that develop differently? Traditionally, expats would live and work abroad and, and uh, because their country, their, their company or their job or their business or their family lifestyle wants them to go and live in a, a new location. But now, uh, with technology and with post-COVID changes of, of beliefs and systems and, and uh, approaches, uh, people are choosing to work remotely. When you work in the same jurisdiction, the same country as your employer, and let's be clear, you can be self-employed and employing yourself. You can have your own personal service company and employ yourself, or you can work for somebody else as an employee. So uh, when I'm saying when you're working for an employer, any of those contexts, self-employed, personal service company, or an employee. So whatever those roles, as long as you're in the country in which the employer is based, then you can pay tax on a pay-as-you-earn basis. Income tax and social insurance is paid where, uh, where you are. Within the Europe and America and the UK, there's an established social insurance system which doesn't exist in every other country, either for cultural reasons or just because the economy, economy is not developed. Okay. Um, but where there is uh, a social insurance system that gives extra restrictions on what an employer can do. And, and these are things that uh, nomads need to consider. So a nomad uh, can work remotely to do their job anywhere. They can live around the corner down the road. They can live in Cornwall and work in Birmingham, or they can live in Cyprus and work in London uh, and work for a London business. So all those things are possible if you wish, um, but it, it depends on making that arrangement with your employer. Um, the employer uh, needs to be in the same location as the person doing the work. So if you're a sole trader, 
and, and you relocate to another country, you need to get a resident permit and then you need to get um, uh, 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 a sort of tax registration to be a sole trader in that country. And normally, as long as you've got the right credentials, depending country by country, then you can you can make those arrangements and, and, and that employment might be the same work that we're doing in the UK as in Cyprus uh, or, or in Dubai that you're doing in the UK. Um, because you're a sole trader, then that work can, can carry on. Um, depending on the individual country, if you want to work in Saudi Arabia or Dubai, you need a work visa and a permit uh, before you enter the country. Uh, but again, it's still the same principles, just in a slightly different way, is that you need the, the job, the income, the home um, to get the resident permit or the visa um, uh, be, be, before you can start working there in the longer term. The, um, if, if your employer is in another jurisdiction, they need to create a branch in another in, in the country in which you want to work, or they can use an employer record system. And it, that's just a way of allowing you to pay your tax and social insurance. If you're a nomad working abroad for more than 90 days for an employer, then you should be registered uh, with a residency permit and, and uh, uh, a social insurance registration for the work you're going to do there. So if you're an employee, your company needs to have a branch or an employer of record in that local jurisdiction. If you're an employee, uh, self-employed, then you need to register uh, for that work as a sole trader in that new country. And if you're working for your personal service company, your personal service company can stay in, in your home country, but you need to register as a contractor in the country in which you're resident and then you become a remote resident. And, and that's based upon your days. So that all works really, really well. That's all very clear. Um, but nomad working can actually go to the next level as well. Uh, and think about this. Why do you need to work in one place? So now we're seeing, uh, reported in the news the last week, that cruise ships are offering cruises for nomad workers. Uh, so they're offering the facilities and, and the, the environment them to take a, a, a transatlantic cruise and be working while they're on that cruise um, so that they've got like-minded people around them and when they get at the end of the cruise for their short holiday in the location in which they've arrived um, they've got people around them that they're already familiar with and they can mix with to to uh, do that um, to enjoy that party that little holiday at, at the end of uh, at the end of a cruise. So working remotely, you, you can do that. You can cruise away uh, and, and keep traveling. The thing to bear in mind when you're doing that is that uh, if you're in one country for more than 90 days, especially in the EU with the Schengen zone, um, then you need to have a residency permit for that country. If you get on a, a boat and you go on a, a one-month cruise and then take a week's holiday at the end or a long weekend's holiday at the end, and you're working on the boat, then you don't need to get a residency permit to live or work somewhere else. However, your tax residency is, always follows you around. Your country of origin, your country of domicile, where you're from, is it, always going to be the country that's got a call on your tax 
affairs uh, if you're not resident somewhere else. So if you want to uh, work remotely in Dubai uh, or Cyprus or Portugal uh, and, uh, and enjoy the tax benefits of those locations, which can pay a, a lower tax level than somewhere like the UK or Germany, then you need to be, um, you, you need to have a home and you need to have a resident permit in that location to register uh, and uh, for tax. You may not pay any tax, or you may pay a small amount of tax, or you may have a zero tax rate, but you may still have some social insurance. If you don't have a tax residency uh, somewhere, then you'll be tax visits still in your home country. If you don't meet the rules of non-residency, so if you leave the UK, if you be, meet the rules of being non-resident, you can be tax resident in another country, but you have to have that tax residency to be non-resident in the UK. Um, so nomad working around the world on a cruise can work. We've also seen that there's no reason why you can't retire and, and, and cruise around the world as well. So go from cruise to cruise. Uh, so don't buy a home. Go and see the world by cruising around the world. Your tax residence won't change. It will remain uh, in your home location, even if you're living off your savings and investments. You can only be a non-tax resident if you've got a tax residency in another location. Where is your home? Where, where's your economic interest? Where do you habitually stay? Those are the issues that are looked at when, when you're living and working abroad. So what help and guidance on getting your nomad tax status right and paying the right amount of tax so it doesn't come back to bite you uh, at the end of the day, uh, contact us at, at productpartnership.com. There's a lot of... Um, negative press been going on in the UK this year about the state of the economy, um, not least because some questionable government and, and, and trite ideas and, and possibly same old, same old. Um, but the UK, like every other country around the world, is recovering post-COVID. We've seen in China that it, it's more upfront at the moment for, for the Chinese because they've retained the lockdown for longer and much, much longer beyond the rest of the, the world. COVID is supposed to be going around again in 2023, um, but there isn't the will or the wealth uh, to, for governments to consider uh, another lockdown of, of that magnitude, whether it was right or wrong in, in the first place. Um, but the economies are covering from the, the shock of the, the COVID lockdown uh, still, and moving forward. And we see that around the world. And it has all sorts of different ramifications. The economic slowdown in, in China is collapsing some of their biggest companies. It's creating these big ghost cities of empty properties where people are bought off plan and, uh, or they've been built on speculation using bank funds. And, and, and those capital assets uh, have got you know, questionable value now. We've seen that economic um, a political turmoil with Russia invading uh, Ukraine and a new p potential political world order being created uh, from those 
political turmoils in the United States where presidents have been uh, taken to prison and their family have been taken to court um, and ex and current, uh, where the UK have had three prime ministers in a year until the establishment decide which one they prefer. And, and then we see that we've got the uh, you know, Russians invading or influencing or allowing changes to the, uh, their, their client states around them. So lots of things that are going on. And on top of all that, we've got the migrant crisis where the young people of the world are looking for an opportunity to, to make their way in the world, literally, uh, although illegally, uh, using the asylum uh, system. So there is a way forward. And then post-COVID, that involves more remote working. In parts of the UK, you've got robot um, trucks, little, um, you know, um, one foot high uh, electric robot vehicles remotely delivering uh, packages around the town. Uh, so they don't need the remote, the moped riders to deliver the the, the food delivery wise. Um, you, you've got, uh, companies trying to work online and, and that can work but it's about managing the people and bringing them to, the synergies together to get that working and, and do you do it on on paper or do you do it online and does this software work with that device or or or, or another so there's all those issues that that are going on where we see migration of people um uh, or political turmoil or productivity issues as well uh, the, the, the embedded within the state. Got in, in the UK, uh, the UK signed up to the Lisbon Treaty under the Tony Blair's Labour government and allowed uh, um, lower earning Europeans in the UK, which, which meant that employers didn't have to invest increasing productivity of their workforce Therefore, wages didn't go up as much and everybody ended up with a lower wage, employing more people uh, f from Europe. And that is, that is the, 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 the stagnation in salaries um, that, that led to an underperformance in the UK uh, uh, over the, the, the first 20 years of the 20th century. Now, post-Brexit, that's supposed to fix that. But we see that the migrant crisis is creating extra pressures where people are looking to come and work for lower wages, uh, but a better lifestyle that they can get in their home country. Um, so it's not all bad in, in the world. Um, have we got a, a repeat of the 70s, um, an OPEC crisis of fuel? Have we got um, a, a, the post-COVID cold uh, affecting the world and being extended because of the uh, length of time that the COVID lockdown was maintained in China. All those things are changing and leading to change and, and radical changes, uh, which we'll see around the world. Um, the, the Italians want to resolve the, the boat people issue, so do the British. We need to look forward to that. We need to, when we're living and working abroad, we've still got the international principles to do that. We can live and work abroad and relocate overseas. Uh, but as long as you follow the rules and, and make your arrangements, you can go where the wealth is being created and where the job opportunities are. So for more help and guidance on that, 
uh, contact us at productpartnership.com. Uh, one final thing, um, tax is always a funny thing for our Cyprus uh, tax residents. And, and, and yet again, Cyprus have um, extended uh, the deadline for submitting returns. The full year 2022 Cyprus tax returns were due by the end of um, Ju July. It was extended to September. It's now extended to the end of October. So if you haven't done a return for 2022 and you do, do want to do one or need to do one, then contact us at productpartnership.com and we can do that. Finally got some clarity in Cyprus on tax. <clears throat> Generally, they will say that if your income is below 19,500, then you don't need to do a tax return for Cyprus. But generally what that refers to is 19,500 earned income in Cyprus, which is taxed at source. And therefore you will pay your income taxes, your social insurance taxes, and your medical taxes. However, um, if you've got income from around the world, uh, where your health tax is not being taxed at source, then you need to do a return. If you die, you need to do a return to settle your estate. If you buy a house or sell a house uh, or any other um, uh, fixed asset in Cyprus, you need to do a tax return to get the tax clearance. So prior to, we always advise our clients to do a tax return and always have done so their record's up to date and compliant and they can get their rebates from other countries around the world. And finally, uh, Cyprus have announced that from 2023, everybody with any income of any amount has to do a tax return each year. And this will get all the expats and all the Cypriots with worldwide income doing a tax return so we can bring the records up to date, um, linking the social insurance, the tax system, the VAT, and the residency permits all together, just like all the other European countries do uh, under the European legislation on the Schengen zone and resident permits that was updated in 2019. In 2024, uh, electronic travel authorities come in play for the UK and the EU, uh, along with the Schengen zone and its extension. So there'll be additional uh, requirements and compliance and exchange of information that goes on. Uh, keep your records correct when you're living and working abroad for your family, for your business, for your property, for your estate. Uh, contact us at productpartnership.com. Thanks a lot for listening and we'll see you again next time.